You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and with me this week, I have Greg. Hello. And I have Mansoor. Hello. And we are here to talk about um, certainly one of my favourite uh, Big Finish Doctor Who spin-off series. Uh, it's Countermeasures. We're going to be looking at the initial run of four Countermeasures sets. So I guess that's your spoiler warning this week. Uh, we're also going to look at the Assassination Games, which is a Doctor Who story that very heavily ties into the series, kind of serves as a pilot, even though it was released, I think it was after the second set. Anyway, um, so that's what we're going to be talking about, uh, and we're not going to be talking about new countermeasures, because Mansell's not heard them yet, so um, we'll we'll avoid spoiling that. So it, it's it's quite nice to sort of turn around and safe for change this is what we're not going to spoil um so we'll we'll go straight in and we'll start with uh the doctor who story the assassination games or 1963 the assassination games to give it its full name um so this was one of the 50th anniversary sort of loose 1963 trilogy uh releases it was the seventh doctor and ace and the members of countermeasures and the the gist of it really is that it's it bridges the gap between Remembrance of the Daleks, where we first met uh, Gilmore, Alison, and Rachel, um, and this kind of bridges that gap and sort of leaves us at a point where Countermeasures begins. Um, so we're, we're going chronological as opposed to release order in our discussion today. Um, so I I really like uh, Assassination Games. I think it's the best of that 1963 trilogy. Uh, all very, very good stories. You know, Fanfare for the Common Men is very well loved. Uh, I think the Space Race is an awful lot of fun. Um, but I think this one definitely sort of wins the best of the trilogy award. Um, so I'll, I'll uh, go to Greg and ask, what do you think of this one? It's very good. Um, it, it, it's it's a sort of story that is intended almost more as a quasi pilot for the countermeasures series than it is um, a Doctor Who story. The um, the story follows the countermeasures group and they encounter the Doctor and Ace. You know, it's not the sort of thing where we open in the TARDIS and follow you know the Doctor and the companion. And I think that works really well. Um, it 
of course, this came out after the countermeasures series had started, so it's kind of you know working a little bit retroactively. But as far as I know, it doesn't really contradict anything. Um, and I think it works. When I did my re-listen here, I listened to this first. I didn't listen in release order, and it, it works really well in that position. Um, and it's it's a great way to introduce Toby also because, you know, the other characters we saw on TV, but he's brand new creation for audio. And, and, and I mean, we'll, we can talk about how great Hugh Ross is uh, in this series as a whole, but um, yeah, it, possibly the most interesting and compelling character out of the four. Um, and it, it works well as a Doctor Who story as well. I mean, the seventh Doctor has, you know, got his fingers and all sorts of pies, as it were. He's, it, it almost has kind of a quasi new adventures feel to me the story that's kind of like starting, you know, in the middle of the doctor's plan kind of thing. And um, it also ultimately sets up events that won't be resolved until the end of the main countermeasures series. So, I mean, as an introduction, this, this is, this is really good. I liked it a lot. See, I, I heard this before I heard any countermeasures at all. So I've always heard it and kind of taken it as, it is kind of like a pilot, really. Um, and I think that uh, it, it, even though it was released midway through the countermeasures run, at the start is definitely the right time to listen to it. And on this re-listen I've just done now, like you, uh, this was sort of the first place I went before kicking off with the first set. I guess I should say, I don't know why I said re-listen, because this is the only time I've listened to it. So my listen, I did listen to it before hearing the other ones. <laughs> Um, but I, this is, it was a re-listen to this 1963 story, but the rest of countermeasures I had not heard before. Uh, this was my second run of countermeasures, but third, I think third listen to assassination games overall, um, which is quite a lot, actually. Uh, most big finish I've only heard once or twice. So it obviously is a bit of a standout if I've gone back to it more than that. Uh, Mansell, what are your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, I like the observation about it feeling new adventures, especially there's that bit at the end where he pops off and um, the Doctor like spends time as a politician, but then uses time travel to come back to the present. So that, again, that felt very new adventures as well. Um, and it felt like it could fit into that series, but also I feel like if the TV series had gone on after season 26, I could have seen this fitting in there. Yes, you could you could absolutely put the countermeasures theme tune on this and it feels like a story from their perspective. Um, but I could also see it as like season 27 or season 28 and they decide to do a backdoor pilot for countermeasures, but do it within the main, main show. Um, and... I actually like this a lot more than the um, uh, the like the actual season twenty seven uh, that they put out, uh, which had some good bits. But I was a little uh, disappointed by. I felt like it didn't quite come together as well as it could have done. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't mind them doing another go at a season twenty seven or season twenty eight set of big finish stories, and but doing it in the style of uh, this story here. And and yeah, the introduction of of Sir Toby is a really good point because he's so tied to politics and the civil service and all of that, and 
having that be like a big strand of the story here and you know how the doctor gets into it as well then um that works really well to set set up his character definitely so yeah i really, really like this and it was i'd say definitely part of a very strong trilogy um uh, of stories in the main range those are the 1963 stories yeah it was um it's easy to uh, forget i guess that this is a a 50th anniversary celebratory release um because we got so much around the 50th but yeah it, it's a great one and in its own little way it does kind of sort of hark towards the future it does set up countermeasures and um new countermeasures obviously um I, I did really like the the bit about the doctor serving his term as mp and then going back in time and rejoining them and uh, i also like the bit where this is where he changes his his jacket the sort of famous infamous seventh doctor jacket change this is where that happens and i you know i've always liked the fact that he goes to a darker jacket and it's supposed to represent the darkening of his personality and all that kind of thing and it's it's quite nice that this is kind of a point that recognizes that and uh, i suppose chronologically this is one of the earlier seventh doctor as a manipulating game playing mastermind kind of stories um and it does bridge that season 25 26 gap it's always good when a story is written for a specific doctor like there are some stories that are a little bit generic where you could drop it any any tardis team into them um but this one is written for this doctor and works for this doctor like apart from the you know the connection to them nine countermeasures just what he's doing and how the plot's working um is very seventh doctor yeah absolutely um and it's it is good to see that and i think it's really really well done um but yeah, it, it, absolutely great release. And I think the most important thing it does is obviously introduce the light as a villain, this kind of shady cabal of aliens that are basically the Illuminati. Um, and I like the idea that they've they've kind of lost control of America and this is all about trying to, trying to bring the Earth back under their control entirely. Um, so it's it's good to sort of have an enemy that I guess is kind of not on the back foot as it were, but trying to regain some ground. Um, and that's a nice little sort of twist. And I think that it's, it's better than doing a sort of full on alien invasion story or something like that. Um, I suppose it's just to compare it to something that I've been watching very recently. In some ways it's a little bit similar to a secret invasion Marvel's, at the time of recording latest series. Um, I don't know if you guys have picked up on that link at all, but it, it seems to be there. Um, and a lot of people have been comparing Secret Invasion to um, the Capaldi Zygon two-parter as well. So everything's inspired, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of you know, similarity just because of the style of story it's going for. You know, We don't get a lot of this sort of spy themed material um on tv i mean you know there's like the there are the mission impossible movies and so forth but like you know spy tv shows there's homeland was sort of in that vein um but but this sort of like paranoia driven 1960s feeling sort of thing is something that secret invasion is very deliberately going for and obviously that's what countermeasures is going for 
um, you know, this idea of alien infiltrators, you know, who are able to wear uh, human faces and look normal. I mean, that was a very common science fiction plot of, you know, the, the, the 60s especially, but um, you know, not as much anymore. So I think that's why, like, people are drawing a lot of these comparisons with Secret Invasion because it's going for this, I think, slightly older feel. Am I right in saying that that, just as a side note, like that sort of trend in the 60s in media and fiction, is it kind of tied to real life political things like communism and um, McCarthyism? And is that kind of where that possibly came from? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, politics at the time, I mean, communism was viewed as this insidious force that would, you know, sneak into your society and inveigle itself and then, you know, slowly take over from within. That's why you had, you know, McCarthyism. That's why you had the, the Red Scare in the U.S. So, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, a great the point. enemy within. And, and, like, I guess Secret Invasion is doing that with terrorism now, which has kind of been the, the new version of that in the last last couple of decades. Yeah, I think Countermeasures kind of really is playing, you know, there are a lot of references to communism and that kind of thing throughout the sets, um, which we'll talk a bit more about um, in the very near future, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's, it, it definitely sort of wears its political influences on its sleeve, as it were. Um, shall we Shall we head on to the first Countermeasures set then? Um so as we've said, it was actually released before um, the Assassination Games, but it's set afterwards. Um, I really like this first set. I think it's a really sort of strong group of stories. It does a really good job of establishing the team, establishing Sir Toby as this new character. Um, Assassination Games does that as well, but obviously with this being his first appearance, um, it kind of needs to do a bit of work. And one thing I'd kind of forgotten, one thing that's very sort of clear from the off, is just how sort of shifty and slightly untrustworthy Sir Toby is. Having heard new countermeasures a lot more recently, that seems to be toned down a bit in those sets. But in this, he's he's very much, um, he's, he's a little bit double-crossing, double-dealing and, um, the rest of the team, particularly Rachel, just don't don't trust him and don't particularly like him. Um, I think he's an excellent character, though. Um, I really like how um, that kind of comes to a head a little bit in the final episode of the set, State of Emergency, which is what I well, I'd say it's my favourite from the run, and it kind of features a, a sort of coup against the government of the time. Um, it's a really, really, really sort of entertaining political thriller, proper edge of your seat stuff. Um, and it's where we sort of, we do have a few moments there where we're not sure if we can trust Sir Toby or not. Yeah. And like the great thing is that, like you said, it it, it doesn't just come out of left field as a bit of a like a shock twist and like if there's it going back to secret invasion if there's a, maybe a criticism of that that there's like a little bit of that with that tv show of like there's a big sort of surprise that comes out of nowhere and but with countermeasures like not just with sir toby's arc like his character is set up from the start and when he does like a number of very questionable things over the, the next few box sets um 
it makes sense for his character. It, it's uh, it's all quite a sort of natural progression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I really like how this set sort of takes its time to establish him. And it, uh, by the end of this set, we know exactly sort of who he is, where he stands, and that he will compromise, that he does have a slightly murky past and all that sort of thing. Um, so Countermeasures Series 1, Greg, what are your thoughts on it? I do like how you described Toby there, and I think it comes across really well in this set. It, it's easy when you create an ensemble of characters for something like this to not have a lot of conflict in between them. And uh, Rachel, Ian, and Allison, you know, they have their pre-existing relationship that we saw on TV. Um, they do try to flesh all of that out a little bit in the show, but Toby's the outsider and he's really portrayed that way. I mean, he's their new boss. He's their supervisor. I mean, he's someone who has priorities that are slightly different from theirs because all they're interested in is, is completing whatever mission they've been assigned. Whereas he's got to be concerned not only about the mission, but about how it's going to look to his superiors. Yeah. Um, and the sort of, the bureaucracy of it all is a running theme uh, throughout the whole series, really. I'd say that it's something that does run through all sets and we have right. some characters that sort of represent that bureaucracy and are politically ambitious and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's where, you know, Templeton comes from in the following sets. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, what I what I like about this set is that it it, it sounds simplistic, but it's it's kind of it's a little unusual for a for a, a big finish you know set like this to be so like strongly tied together both in terms of characters and theme you know I've been listening through Jago and Lightfoot and I like Jago and Lightfoot a lot but you know while there might be like a you know a slight arc running in the background of any given set like most of the stories are very standalone like you don't get a ton of you know development of the characters in between each one here like the characters are in different places at the end of the set than they are at the beginning in terms of their development. And it's, it's, it's very well done in that respect. I was also really impressed with the, um, with the final story uh, in this set, uh, the name of which is, is escaping me, but. Um, state of emergency. State of emergency. Thank you. It's a Justin Richards story. And. You know, going back to Jago and Lightfoot, you know, Justin Richards is a lot of the uh, closing stories for those sets. And they're usually, you know, pretty entertaining. They kind of wrap everything up. But, 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 but this one is, I mean, this takes, this pulls elements from the previous three stories. It takes things we've learned about the characters and works them into place. It's like the first example of Allison really being emotionally tortured, which unfortunately is a running theme throughout the countermeasures range. But, um, it really works. It sets up this atmosphere of paranoia. There's a lot of good historical references, like with Harold Wilson. It's it's a fantastic piece of drama. It's really well designed. Like it's it's one of my favorite stories of the entire range, honestly. Yeah, it's it's absolutely a highlight for me as well. Uh, Mansoor, your th- thoughts on Countermeasures One? Yeah, Countermeasures One. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking back to when this first came out. Just overall like how this works as a spin-off. Um, I remember listening to this first box set and just being 
really impressed with because was with a lot of Doctor Who spin-offs there can be a temptation to turn it into it's just Doctor Who but with someone else taking the role of the Doctor um, and this is absolutely not that it's like very confidently and very definitely its own thing um, and yeah like like Greg was saying just then the the I really like how um, well it handles the characters and how they over all four box sets how they progress and change um, and the, and the thing that I think I was comparing it to as well is um, the X-Files because this series is kind of it's kind of like like in a similar space of like um, paranormal so it's not necessarily just alien threats that the countermeasures group are going after um, it might be human scientists creating things that have gone wrong um but i think this countermeasures does it so much better because with the x-files you had this really strong separation between monster of the week for most episodes and then suddenly there's like a very separate alien arc thread that comes in and sort of ties the whole series together with countermeasures it's so much more organic and some of the stuff that's set up in this first box set becomes really really crucial uh for the next three both in terms of characters but also just like plot and what's going on with the actual story um so yeah the, uh, there wasn't i, I kind of was struggling to pick a favorite for this first series because it just kind of because it does feel very serialized and like one ongoing story um but if i was going to go for one i'd probably again go for the, the last episode of the four yeah, it really is an excellent finale and it kind of, in a way, wraps up the how are countermeasures going to receive their budget mini storyline that runs through this this first set. And when I put it like that, it really doesn't sound that exciting. But when you're listening to it, um, it's it's sort of quite a, an interesting little thread that kind of feeds into that bureaucracy that we were talking about before. Uh, we'll move on to the second set then. And the second set, um, I'd say that the most important thing it does is establish uh, the character of Templeton, who is pretty much just a good guy for this set. Uh, he's obviously a bit shifty. He's obviously ambitious. But it's quite interesting that he gets a full set of just kind of being there and almost being one of the team. He's not quite as prominent as the others. Um, but it's not really until, I suppose, the very end of this set and the third set that we sort of see as true colours. Um, I quite like that. I quite like the fact that we have a another character introduced who, you know, when we first meet him, he's like, well, is he a semi-regular? Is he kind of like the Sergeant Benton of this team? Or is, is something more going on? Um, and yeah, I, I do quite like the fact that he just gets to be a normal character for a bit. He's not introduced twirling his moustache and cackling manically kind of thing. Um, so the second countermeasure set, Greg, what, what are your thoughts on it and what's your highlight? I think that comparison with Sergeant Benton's a really good one because that's how they kind of portray Templeton here is that he's, you know, this, this 
ancillary, you know, adjacent character to the group. You know, he's he doesn't quite fit in with them. You know, you feel like, oh, you know, maybe the maybe the arc is going to be, you know, Templeton's going to become, you know, a bigger part of things, etc. Like it really kind of lulls you into a sense of security concerning his character that, that when they really pull the rug out from under you in the future sets. Um, I, I set two, like, I really like the first story manhunt because it just throws you right into the middle of things. Like right when it picks up, like Ian's already on the run, he's being pursued for murder and everyone's just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, we get recurring villains that run through the set. Um, we get, uh, you know, an actual relationship history between Gilmore and, 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 and Waverly and so on. Um, it it's it's kind of an extension of you know what we saw in in the first set which is that we're doing more than just doing individual stories you know everything's tied together in a way you know uh, uh, x files was mentioned as a comparison and and it's absolutely true you know x files was um very divided between the monster of the week and the conspiracy themed episodes. But there's, there's one episode of the X-Files called red museum, which is not that, which starts out as Mulder and Scully investigating like the monster of the week and then discovering that it's actually part of the conspiracy without bringing in, you know, the cigarette man and so forth. And that's really the level on which countermeasures operates is there's always the mission. Like it's, it's very, it's very much like a you know 90s early 2000s kind of TV show in that way where you know every episode has its own plot and its own resolution but there's elements thrown in of the ongoing story arc it's it's not completely serialized like a lot of programs are now where you can't watch episode 2 without watching episode 1 but you know for something like this by the time you get to episode four, I mean, I guess you could listen to it on its own. It wouldn't not work, but it really helps to, you know, be following it throughout. Um, and and I like the I like the way it concludes. I like the the John Dorney story at the end. I mean, it, it's very emotional. Um, you know, it's really tied into the the different characters and their relationships. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't I don't know if I really need to rank them. Um, I. I think it's kind of a natural progression from the first set, even if maybe I liked the first set a little bit more, but yeah, no, it's really good. I would agree with you that the the first set is a little bit stronger, um, but the first set kind of, I guess, is really establishing things, whereas this is starting to move the pieces on the board to where they need to be, particularly with Templeton being introduced and um, sort of, the arc that Sir Toby goes through in this set where it's revealed that, well, heavily implied, shall we say, that the uh, the villain of the fourth episode is his son, um, very heavily implied. Um, I, I do quite like that, and obviously that sets up for where Sir Toby, Sir Toby goes in the next set as well. Um, so it's, like you say, there's there's a very strong... I suppose series of threads running through. There's the story arc, but there's all the character stuff going on as well. Um, and yeah, I think this set sort of works quite hard to put the characters where they need to be. Uh, Mansour, what are your thoughts on set number two? Um, yeah, I really like this one. It's uh, yeah, on, on the Satobi being the father of the character in the fourth story. I think at the start of series three, 
it kind of rams it home even more. I think he says something about um, sins of the father or something. There's like, um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty much not subtext. It's, it feels pretty explicit. But like, um, I think my favourite of this box set, again, I found it hard to pick a favourite, but I think um, Peshka might be my favourite of these ones. Um, uh, it does both on a kind of like mechanical continuity level and character level um there's a lot of references back to previous things that the group have gone through um and that you don't see that uh, in any sort of serialized drama um even today when it's kind of more the norm you often don't get that like people on tv shows often go through some including doctor who actually doctor who's a really good good example of this People go through horrific things, like you know, Tegan loses her her aunt, and or many companions lose parents and parent figures, and then it's just not mentioned at all, and they just go off on adventures and and have fun. And whereas in countermeasures, some of the horrific stuff that they've gone through continues to have consequences, like having to have treatment for radiation um, exposure or um, the trauma of having to. Uh, you know, kill your your fiance or or partner, and um, so I like that. And but also just in terms of the the characters that this story introduces, um, uh, I thought it was just quite a nice. Uh, it's sort of having its cake and eating it by by doing all that continuity, but also telling like quite nice self contained stories as well. Um, so that was my my favorite of the set. You see, I. I did find there was one in this set that I didn't particularly like on my first listen through, but did really enjoy this time, uh, whether I just gave it a bit more attention this time, or maybe it's because I knew where the story was going, that kind of thing. But um, the fifth Citadel, the James Goss story, um, which is basically there's a nuclear bunker under, under London and it's leaking a bit. Um, and there's this fantastic moment at the end where after uh, Sir Toby sort of agreed to help out, um, I'm trying to remember Celia Imney, Imry's character's name. I think it was Dr. Bradley or something like that. Um, Sir Toby's kind of agreed to help her gone. And then he just has the whole thing sealed in with cement and sort of Templeton's complicit in it as well. Templeton's the one that gives the order. Um and it's just, it's an incredibly dark story with an equally dark ending. And it's probably actually the darkest these sets go, uh, which is saying an awful lot, really, considering uh, what they do involve and, you know, the stuff that Alison goes through as well and all that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I really did enjoy it on second listen. It really sort of stood out. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a great set. It continues the good work of the first, even if it's not quite as strong overall. But it's certainly very, very enjoyable. Uh, we'll move on to set number three then. Um, so I really, really like the way set three kicks off, which is uh, Templeton is now basically in charge of countermeasures and... Lo and behold, he's not very nice. Um, and Sir Toby is at an inquiry and he thinks he's going to walk it. And then all of a sudden uh, the panel is completely changed. And actually he genuinely does have to fight for his career. Um, 
it's quite strange to see Satobi on the back foot, really. Usually he's he's very calm and in charge of the situation, but here he's he's genuinely challenged, perhaps for the first time since we met him. Um and I think it's it is a really, really good way of opening the set. It deals with the consequences of the second set, and it's very, very rare that a new series will start with the consequences of the last one being examined. There's no sort of reset switch here. There's no return to the norm of beforehand. It does feel like the implications are going to stay with us for the rest of countermeasures now, and indeed they do. Um, So Greg, talk to us about the third set. I like that point you're making about the opening story. I mean, they do that in series two, like I said. I mean, granted, there you're not picking up specifically on what was happening in series one, but they still throw you in at the deep end with Gilmore on the run. Here, they throw you in at the deep end with, you know, Toby facing consequences from how series two ended. And I think that's that's really good writing. I mean, I, I think it's good to keep the listener, you know, on the back foot a little bit. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a bit, but I think it's very interesting then the way that they start the fourth set, where after the third set ends on such a massive cliffhanger, the fourth one starts and it's just a normal countermeasure story. And you're like, wait a minute, why is it normal? This, this is the last thing that should be normal. And then that becomes part of the, the structure too. Um, the third set, I mean, look, all, all four of these sets are very good. Um, I really like the first story in this one, um, like, like you did. Um, I, the, the middle two stories in this set don't do a lot for me. Um, the second one, the concrete cage is kind of, you know, a, a haunting kind of story, kind of sapphire and steely. And it's just never been my, my type of science fiction that I really enjoy. Um, it's, it's very almost, it's very Doctor Who-y as well, which is something that this series has largely not been. Um, and I, I just don't think it, it, it fits as well. Um, the Forgotten Village is, it's nice that they're trying to flesh out Allison's backstory more. And it's interesting to see her relationship or lack thereof with her father. But again, it's just, going even further down the road of just showing how she's absolutely miserable all the time. Um, the other thing too, is that as good as the first story is, it doesn't really give us a, because Toby is so involved with the, with the hearing, you know, it doesn't give us a lot of time to show how his relationship with the actual countermeasures team has changed. And it does kind of feel like, I don't know, I think it's in the second, not until the second story that you find out that Allison has just completely lost all faith in Toby. And like that, that really doesn't come out at all in the first one. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that um, it felt a little abrupt to me. Um, but uh, all that said, the final story going to Berlin is uh, Unto the Breach. It's, it's that one is absolutely fantastic. Like that is such a wonderful Cold War spy story the just the the levels of intrigue and 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 paranoia going on there it's it's fantastic it's a direct link into into the fourth set like it's 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 it might be the best individual story of of the four sets but uh yeah really good um gives all the characters like really 
impactful things to do. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 excellent. And then the quality just continues as we head towards the finale. Uh, I have to agree that Unto the Breach is an excellent, excellent sort of final episode. Brilliant cliffhanger to end a set on. Um, like the idea that Gilmore's trapped behind the Iron Curtain. It's implied that Sir Toby is killed uh, and Alison and Rachel remain mind-controlled. And it, it's, you know, mind control, it is such a sort of, it's a bit of a sci-fi cliche really, isn't it? And it's, we've had so much mind control in Doctor Who and beyond Doctor, you know, all over the place. Um, and I think actually here it's used really effectively. It's used on a really human level. Um, and it, it, we see how the team are kind of manipulated and broken up uh, because of it. And it's, it's really well played. And I think anybody listening to it at this point, you know, may have started to go, ooh, maybe the light weren't wiped out in assassination games. And even though it's another few episodes before they're actually revealed, um, I think perhaps the hints are starting to be dropped here. And uh, I, I quite like that it's it's probably there to be picked up on. I have to admit, I didn't pick up on it myself um, until a bit later when I first heard all of this. But yeah, I think that there were definitely hints being dropped by now. Uh, Mansell, what did you think of the third set? Um, yeah, same. I agree that the last one's definitely the strongest. Um, I I think I liked uh, the, the, the third one a little bit more um, uh, than um, uh, just because... Yeah, I think it wasn't. It could have, maybe it wasn't entirely successful. But I, I liked the fact that it was giving us some backstory and and focusing on uh, on Alison as a character. Um, but yeah, uh, not much to add. I think that the last one is, it's um, I think I said on a previous episode about like um, starting to disconnect from an audio when it tries to be like too visual in terms of just doing a big big explodey um action scene i think um the fourth episode of this set is like a good example of doing something that feels quite visual and action-packed but doing it in a way that works on audio and that um that sort of takes you along so uh um yeah just uh and and again it's kind of tough to sort of single out single episodes because like as greg was saying just then it, it this does an amazing job of building on what's come before and then setting up so many things in, in the last box set as well. I'd say that perhaps the only, it's a very, very minor weakness, but the only weakness of this third set is that it, uh, the Forgotten Village kind of pulls Alison out of action for the finale. She's not really there. And while we do get some great scenes of, Templeton manipulating her while she's in hospital. It's kind of a shame she's not involved with the very, very excellent Berlin storyline that's going on uh, with the rest of the team. Uh, very minor quibble. And obviously, you know, it, it's, as I've already said, a lot of countermeasures is moving characters into position, making sure they're in the right place. Um, and sort of the fact that she's left defenceless in hospital for Templeton to manipulate does add to an already excellent cliffhanger. Um, but yeah, it just seems to be that the 
one of the characters is kind of swept aside quite dramatically three quarters of the way through the set just so that um, the finale can go ahead as it does. But again, this is something that gets picked up on in the fourth set. It's We're very much in serial territory, and I think by this point, really, it's quite it's almost difficult to start looking at them as individual sets. So I think set one has its own identity. Set two has its own identity, but really sets three and four, they really do up the serialization. Things do start moving at a pace. It's, we are moving towards something. We're moving towards a definitive finale. Um, on which note we will move on to the fourth set. Um, so, as Greg has already pointed out, it starts with what's kind of an ordinary episode, which is probably the last thing you'd expect after that cliffhanger. But I think it works so effectively well. Um, I really do like what what the first half of this set does. It doesn't immediately resolve all the cliffhangers. It takes half the set to kind of get our characters where they need to be for the, the final two episodes. Uh, it takes its time, and I really do appreciate that. It's not all solved in the click of a finger. Uh, so, Greg, what are your thoughts on set number four? I like, as I commented before, the way that the fourth set starts because it's just, oh, it's a normal countermeasure story. And you're listening to it, and obviously you've listened to you know the third set, and you're like, well, this isn't right. Like, you know, Ian and, and Toby were trapped and were and captured in Berlin, like what's going on, you know? And, and they, they played the, they, they put like Gilmore is, is written and played just, you know, well enough that it's not, you know, super obvious that it, it's not, I mean, it, it's, it's, I should say, you know, it, it's played is a different, it's a different actor, obviously, when I mean, you know, it's a different person, but like, it's it's done in a way that like is suggestive of the original character so it's like you're just expected to you know take this at face value and it's like it, it, of course you know he hasn't been recast or anything like that but it it i'm having a hard time explaining my my feelings on this but it it really works in this way that's just supposed to wrong foot you and make you feel uneasy and uncomfortable and and even though you know something's wrong and you know the story hasn't been picked up everything just seems to be back to normal and it's only as the story goes on that the other characters start to kind of pick up on what's happening and you know start to realize that something isn't right and by the end of it of course then we're in back into the you know the serialized story that's going to carry on through the rest of the set um, another thing I like about the set in general is that it, the, the final, you know, battle quote unquote, that's being depicted here is between not just, you know, countermeasures and, and the light, but it's, it's like a, a larger scale thing involving, you know, different, entirely different factions of the government and the countermeasures group are really just one piece of a bigger puzzle. And so, you know, that, that comes across pretty well too it's it's you know an interesting decision where you know not literally everything revolves around them which is nice and then um i think uh there's some interesting characters in here as well uh the the assassin character in the final story is genuinely scary and, and really well portrayed um and and also I think that the, the overarching story really, really gets tied up. Well, I mean, I, I don't, it doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't feel like they, they hurry to the end. Um, 
it, it really comes to a definitive conclusion. And then the way the set ends, I mean, it, it's, it very much comes across as they're ending the series entirely. I mean, it's, it is just a completely definitive, Oh, I guess everyone's dead kind of ending. And obviously, you know, we're, we're going to pick it up, you know, in, in, in new countermeasures and, you know, without spoiling anything, they're on the cover. They're not all dead, but it's it's still like it feels like they've drawn a line under the show or the, the series like this is it this is the end and i like that i mean i big finish always like to leave doors open you know for sequels or or prequels or sidesteps and you know that's that's a good business model for sure and and it's led to a lot of great stories but i do like it when you can just say like the story ends here this is it it's over this is the end and that's what this is, and it's really good. Yeah, it's as a as regular big finish listeners, it is quite rare that we're treated to a a definitive ending, and I think that it makes them even better when they, they very clearly are definitive endings. You know, it's recently we've had um, uh, Margaret departing the TARDIS after being with the Fourth Doctor and Leela for a series, and that does feel like a definitive end you know that that character's arc is done we've spent time with this character and now she's happy to move on to a different stage of her life and it's it's a totally different definitive ending to this one but it's it, it, it's sort of a, it's an emotional one i guess um whereas this is it, it's such a brilliant way to end i absolutely love that sort of last five minutes or so um We'll talk about that a tad more in a moment because I'm going to ask Mansour what his thoughts are first. Uh, like on on the subject of all these different factions within the government, I think what it does for Satobi is really good as well because you know increasing well you know the whole thing about his character is being this manipulator or and, and having a sort of slightly shady side. So seeing him uh, on the back foot and having someone else manipulate him is uh, a, a nice new dynamic. Um, and yeah, the ending, I completely agree. It's nice to have a, a finite set of stories that tell a coherent, um, uh, yeah, uh, tell a coherent story with a beginning, middle and end. And, um, and I'm assuming this is like a kind of Gallifrey situation where this was this intended as the end and then they decided to do a continuation later on because, um, because uh, that was the the point, um, that was the intention with Gallifrey originally, wasn't it? That there was the three series and there was a kind of um, sort of Italian job style ending and and, and that was it. Um, I'm assuming it was the same with countermeasures here. Uh, I can't quite remember now, actually. Um, I, I mean, there's not that big a gap between the release of this and the release of yeah. Who Killed Toby Kinsella. Because Gallifrey, there was a bigger gap, wasn't there? And then... So, yeah, that's why I, I mean, Gallifrey's, Gallifrey's had a few definitive endings now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Gallifrey's ended at Series 3, it's ended at Series 6, it's ended after Enemy Lines, and it's ended after the first four run uh, Time War sets. So, um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I'm not entirely sure with this. I think, judging by um, the short gap, in release, a relatively short gap in release between this and new countermeasures, I would say that the plan was always to go to new. 
um, and I'd assume that they were trying to do sort of Avengers, the new Avengers with it, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I'm, I am just speculating there. Yeah, and I, I haven't heard the new series yet, but um, I, I, I'll see what it's like and sort of judge it in its own merits. But I'm a little bit sad to that they've moved on from the sort of 60s era set stuff which i think was working really well but then again it i was like seconds ago saying it's good to have a story that's finite and knows when to end so um yeah there's that as well but this is like a a really strong set of four box sets that don't outstay their welcome that tells like a coherent story both in terms of plot and character and i think another advantage of it as well is it can be listened to almost entirely independently you know you throw assassination games in there as well obviously but it's it's a doctor who story and it is a single coherent series of 16 stories semi-serialized um and i i do really really like that and i think if they had have carried on they'd have lost something um you know if they'd have moved on to a different storyline or if they'd have yeah i think something would have been missing um and i think it works as it is this story arc is fairly self-contained another thing i like about it is um you know you mentioned it's it's in the doctor who universe but you know, it, new countermeasures changes this a little bit, but I mean, here we're resolutely staying away from Doctor Who. I mean, there, we don't have old Doctor Who monsters turning up. We don't have Doctor Who villains turning up. We don't, you know, apart from Assassination Games, which is an actual Doctor Who story, you know, we don't have the Doctor showing up or, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, meet 1960s Torchwood or anything like that. Like, it's very much its own separate thing that just uses what was established in remembrance of the Daleks. And I think it's, it's all the stronger for that. Like it, 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 it definitely stands on its own as an independent thing. Like you, you don't have to have seen a minute of Dr. Who to listen to this and enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, I guess something that um, a more recent comparison would be the, uh, unit Brave New World sets, they've sort of consciously removed themselves from the Hooniverse as much as possible. We have Brigadier Bambera, we have Unit as an organisation, but, but that is all there is, and it's telling its own story, it's got its own arc, and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we've talked about on this podcast how brilliant those sets are. So that sort of taking that step back from Doctor Who, but still being set within the the same universe i think it does actually serve a series like this really really well the last point of discussion is just um the sets as a whole really um i'm pretty sure we're all going to agree on this but is it fair to say that you know this works really well as a four box set 16 episode arc would we like to see more of this kind of thing you know does this this self-containment that we've discussed uh work um, I absolutely think it does. I think this is a great run of stories. It's something I could go back to and listen to over and over again, and it feels like a real. It feels like a real spin-off series. It goes off in its own direction, does its own thing, and I really like that. Um, where you compare it to, let's say, the River Song sets or the Unit sets, they borrow very heavily from the Who universe. They never stray too far. There's always 
a classic doctor or a classic villain or something involved. They're not like a coherent thing like this is. Like I think River Song is like a perfect example of that. Like there have been some really good River stories, but you wouldn't I, I wouldn't um just like binge listen the whole thing because it doesn't tell one coherent narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Um so would you say that you prefer this kind of thing or would you prefer the sort of more individual story style of the river sets? I mean, there's space for both, isn't there? Like there's so many spin-offs, um, the, the kind of like more purist anthology approach. And maybe for River, you can kind of make an argument that it works for her because her timeline's all over the place. But um, but yeah, absolutely, everything you said, my, my preference is for this approach. Um, like... Uh, coherent narratives that have a that know when to end that um um that like i know it wouldn't it wasn't all written in one go but you listen to these 16 episodes and it feels like it was written as one big thing um so yeah more more like this not necessarily countermeasures but when big finish are doing spin-offs i would really like them to to sort of pull out all those elements that, that you listed. Yeah, fair enough. And um, what about you, Greg? There was a, uh, a show on a few years ago called Person of Interest. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. But, um, obviously, it's much different in terms of what it's trying to do and so forth. But the structure of it reminded me a little bit, or rather the structure of countermeasures reminded me a little bit of that, in that that show starts out as a very like self-conscious you know, case of the week kind of show, but over its you know four seasons, it slowly morphs into just a straight up serialized science fiction drama. And that's what Countermeasures does in its way. You know, it, it, it starts out in the first set with some fairly standalone stories, but there's always, you know, a little something running in the background. And as you're proceeding from set to set, the plot just slowly comes closer and closer to the surface until you get to the final set, which is just basically one continuous story and it's a very good story and it's it's very well written like it's very obvious they had very good uh editorial control behind this because there's so much consistency between the individual scripts even though they're practically all written by different people like there's there's no you know this is not the product of of the shopping list style of writing like this was this was guided and it works really well this is i mean i prefer sets like this to the more random assortments. Um, I, I mean, the, the one downside is that when you have a, you know, a set like this, everything's going to sort of have the same tone and feel to it. You're much less likely to have that, you know, brilliant kind of story that comes out of left field. That's so characteristic of Dr. Who, but I do think it keeps the quality more consistent and, especially in this case when it's so well written like it can really lead to a satisfying ending and that's what this does and yeah it is a it really is an excellent ending it's a great way of sort of culminating everything that we've had up until this point and from the perspective of somebody that has only listened to these four sets Mansell um the characters are dead it, it kills them off it kind of reaches a point where essentially the villains win they're kind of thwarted on the day they lose the battle uh, but they win the war um and it's it's not picked up for quite a while you know in universe quite a big amount of time passes before uh, 
um, anything changes there. So I would very much like to come back and do new countermeasures with you both uh, when Mansell's heard it. So we'll do that at some point in the future. Um, but for now, that is all we have time for. Um, these sets are great, though. I've really enjoyed listening to them again. I've really enjoyed talking about them again. And it's, I think countermeasures will always remain sort of a unique but brilliant sort of little corner of big finish that I'd encourage anybody to get stuck into. As we've said, outside of the assassination games, you need little to no Doctor Who uh, familiarity to understand and thoroughly enjoy this. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth giving a go. So I will say, uh, for now, I will say goodbye to Greg. Goodbye. Always a pleasure. And I will say goodbye to Mansour. Thanks. Goodbye. And we'll be back for more spodcasting very soon. Goodbye now.